Welcome to Into the Hobbyverse, a podcast dedicated to Marvel Crisis Protocol and the hobby aspects surrounding it. Uh, our focus here is to discuss our experiences with hobbying and the game uh, and our journey to become better painters um, and hopefully give advice to the listeners to help you improve to where you want to be and, and build a community of people who want to do so. Uh, my name is the Waxy Sandwich. I'm, I'm getting my the Waxy Sandwich now, and I'm joined by a Moriartis. How's it going, buddy? <laughs> Not too bad, man. How are you? I'm doing okay. Uh, finally back on our, our normal schedule. Couple busy periods, and obviously Adepticon in the rearview mirror. But we are we are back uh, and and talking about hobbying. Very exciting. Yes, indeed. Good get good to get back into it. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, really, 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 a lot of stuff to catch up on. So, we, I won't talk about the weather today. So, I'll, I'll, you know, what have you been up to, man? Nothing much, I guess. Yeah, yeah. You know, nothing much. <laughs> uh, so, as as anyone on the Discord already knows at this point, uh, back from AdeptCon, uh, got my feedback, um, my entry. Uh, I, I only decided to do the squad entry. Um, I don't know if that was a good idea or not, but that's just way i decided to go uh my entry ended up taking silver in my category um there was only one gold entry in my category uh squad that was john ho uh, very talented painter uh there were two silver entries in my category and i don't remember how many bronzes there were i i didn't realize uh that as soon as like the vendor hall opens on sunday morning when you can go in there and and talk to the judges and look at your piece and all that stuff. I didn't realize that they already had everything, you know, the medals given out and it's all displayed so you can see who took, you know, gold, silver, and bronze and all that. And so I was actually upstairs at the time, actually looking at all the golden demon entries, just kind of browsing through, uh, seeing all the neat paint jobs. Uh, and then I came downstairs and uh, noticed that you know, all the people were there. There was a bunch of busyness going on at the desk. And so I went over and found out that they already had it set up and a lot of people were already picking up their models. And I, so I wasn't able to snap pics of like, you know, the, the display showing all the gold, silver, and bronzes and a lot of the pieces that had already been picked up at that point. So um, I'm not sure how many people came in bronze in my category, but I know there were, I remember seeing one or two of them. Um, so yeah, um, not too bad for my first outing. I was hoping for a gold, uh, but uh, you know the feedback I got from the from Dallas and the judges, uh, you know, I have an understanding of kind of why that didn't happen. So um, that's that's kind of my big news. Uh, other than you know, after Adepticon, I kind of wanted to uh, give myself a palate cleanser, so to speak. All of this like agonizing over you know quality of paint job and and how do I do this better and, and inevitably having to compare yourself to other people. It could be kind of mentally a bit draining. And so I wanted something to kind of make me remember my joy of just painting and experimenting and, and having fun. And so I uh, kind of experimented around with an Emma Frost and with Ulick, uh, playing around with different metallic recipes with Ulick, because uh, I haven't really done much with true metallic metals in a while. And then experimenting with like doing marble stone. I did that trick where you do like a dried out baby wipe. Uh, 
that you stretch out over a base and then you you use an airbrush and it gives you kind of a marbling effect um and it worked out all right um <clears throat> so and then uh, some frostgrave models actually I have some gw minis that i bought forever ago um, to use as like a Frostgrave warband, and I was like, you know what, these are models that I don't expect to be super high quality paint jobs, and it allows me to just kind of relax and have fun and, and just make something that looks decent um, without agonizing too much about, you know, every little highlighter transition. So, so that's kind of where I've been the past few weeks, I guess you could say. Yeah, no, that uh, that's great. I'll, I'll, j I'll just walk back to Adepticon and Two two kudos is one of obviously kudos on on getting the silver. Um, it it seemed to be tough judged very toughly, so I, I think that is a, a a very good accomplishment, and you know, should take the due pride in that. But um, also kudos for recognizing to uh, take a step back and and be like, I I just want to you know get something finished and and go from there because I think that that is equally kind of. Um, uh, let's, let's just call it important, like like you know, remembering why you feel, uh, you know, why you enjoy the game, why you enjoy the hobby, and and just being able to kind of sit there and uh, fall back into that space. And uh, you know, your Emma Frost and your your Ulick uh, look good. I, I am disappointed in uh, you know the greatest model in the game. I. The... <laughs> Uh, nah, he looks good. I was going to make something up, but there's nothing to pick on it. He he does look good. But no, yeah, I I did. Thank you. I I did debate kind of because I knew originally I was talking about wanting to try out kind of like a beat up non metallic metal, which I have basically no experience with on Ulick, and I I still think it would have been a good opportunity to do that. But um, I I also am very unpracticed with true metallic metals. Uh, my experience with that is mostly. You know, a base coat, a dry brush, a wash, and kind of that's it. And and so I I never really enjoyed painting true metallic metals, and I think that's predominantly because of, uh, like, the brands I've been using. I, I think G-Dub brand metallics are not the funnest thing to paint with. They tend to have kind of awful coverage, especially when you get into, like, the lighter versions where you're highlighting. And so I hadn't really used much of the True Metallics for scale color now that I've switched over to that. And so I thought, you know what, let's try that. And, and especially because he's got areas that are theoretically supposed to be like bronze or whatever. And so I was like, let me try that out. And then the base I gave him is the one with like the sewer, uh, the manhole cover. And then it's also got like a sewer plate. And so I was like, this is a good opportunity for me to test out like, you know, a copper and a bronze and steel, like all at the same time on one mini. So I kind of went down just playing with recipes on that. And it was actually a lot of fun. And I haven't really had fun doing true metallic metals in the past because of difficulties I've had getting coverage. And so I was like, okay, now that I'm having fun with this, now I can start kind of digging into tricks you can do with true metallic metal and actually learning how to do it in a way that uh, is, you know, get you results that are impressive. So, um, I'm going to start doing that as kind of a way of, I don't know, pushing myself in a way I'm hoping will be fun in the future. Yeah, that, that, that'll be exciting. I mean, uh, just looking at the, you know, the experiments on Ulick, uh, the, uh, I guess that'd be bronze, not brass, but like the bronze for his scale mail. I, I think that that looks very rich and interesting. You have a lot of definition there, even in the photos, like the, the difficult part with um, 
true metallic metal is is getting it to look as good in photos as it does in mm-hmm. uh, in real life. And I, I think you know, I can tell by the way you've painted it that that is uh that is act or you know you you've achieved that. So kudos, oh. man. Thank you. I, I appreciate it. So anyway, um, uh, sorry, anything else? Uh, Well, I I guess uh, I don't want to bore people too much on, I I don't know how much depth people want to hear on the Adepticon stuff, just because I did get a lot of feedback and and I have some thoughts on it. I've learned some lessons. I don't know if we want to really dig heavy into that before we, um, you know, because we also need to talk about what you've been up to for the past few weeks. So, well, I I don't have a ton. So I, I... I, I think it'd be, you know, a good thing to talk through, like your experience with the painting competition and, and you know, to the extent you want to talk about, it, I'm sure, like you, like you mentioned, we were talking earlier, it's been top of mind for a while. So mm-hmm. uh, as much as you want to go into it, I'm, I'm, you know, let's, let's hear sure. it. I guess, I guess I'd like to mostly touch on kind of, I guess, some lessons learned. Um, I, I, I did not realize, so I knew about John Ho that he was going, and I saw on Instagram his dual piece that ended up winning the overall gorgeous piece. He did, you know, Spider-Man versus Doc Ock, and he did a repose and basically a re-sculpt, or a recreation, I should say, of like his Doc Ock's tentacles, and it changes up the kind of narrative of the piece, and it's it's very strong. I, I don't think anyone thought that he didn't deserve to win the overall on that. Um, but I had no idea that he had also entered stuff into the other two categories. And so when I was looking through the other categories, you know, um, I immediately recognized that the Hulkbuster in the individual stuff was a really, uh, a really well done piece. And I, I had a feeling it might win. Uh, but, and John Ho recently released a YouTube video admitting as much that he, he felt that, you know, there really wasn't much narrative to either his squad entry or his individual, and that his technical skill in painting is what kind of carried him in those categories. And so he has a whole video where he, you know, he does retrospective and kind of gives advice to people that want to go at it. I highly recommend checking out the video. It was actually really fascinating to watch. It was also really rewarding for me because it kind of shows me his thought process and how much effort he put into it. And it makes me feel a lot better about uh, having, you know, quote unquote, lost to him, I guess you could say. Uh, Although really I was competing with myself, which we're about to get into. Uh, But yeah, it's, it's really interesting video. Uh, He, he apparently has been, you know, chasing after golden demons since like 2007, which is when I was still learning how to do washes properly. So, uh, it, it definitely makes me realize, like, oh wow, he's he's a a much higher caliber competitor than I am in that regard, and and that makes me even feel better about taking silver because you know if I'm competing in that kind of environment and I'm still getting a medal that, according to the judges, was nearly a gold, it's like okay, wow, that's that's pretty good. That's not bad for my first one, but the irony is one of the big pieces of feedback I got. And I, I was lucky enough to run into Dave Taylor uh, at the convention. Uh, for those of you who don't know him, he's like OG famous GW guy. He was he was painting and going to Golden Demons, I believe, and stuff like that years and years and years ago. A very famous painter, uh, really nice guy too. Um, and I ran into him, and I, I actually met him years and years ago when I was a red shirt at Games Workshop. He actually 
trained me. Him and Tim Lyson came out and trained us on, um, you know, hobby centers and being managers and stuff like that. And uh, <clears throat> so when I ran into him, you know, I, I went up and kind of reintroduced myself and re reminded him of how we knew each other. And he was like, oh, my God, yeah, totally. And uh, so that was kind of cool. We caught up for a little bit. And then I had asked him if he'd be willing to give me feedback on the piece as well. And uh, interestingly, I think the thing that detracted the most from my piece and the reason it, it was not in the running for a gold is because of the display base in Cassandra Nova. And I think, I, I, had I thought this through more, I think I would have known that ahead of time because I remember as I was making the base and as I was making Cassandra, I was sitting there thinking like, this is me adding more things to the piece. And the more you add, the more there is to criticize, right? Uh, the it, There's kind of a standard where what you choose to do is what you're being judged on. So the more that you choose to do, the more you open yourself up to criticism. And I, I was under the impression that I had to have a display base, and uh, apparently you don't. Um, the, there, there were a lot of squad entries that did not have display bases. They just took you know, five or six models or whatever and submitted it. Um, and then, of course, John Hose, he, he just attached his Sentinels to a plinth. So I, I guess you you can just do that, and you know if the technical skill of your piece is better. I, I imagine the narrative kicks in when they're you know like if my sentinels were painted to the same quality that John Ho's were, I probably would have won in that category because mine had a narrative, whereas his kind of didn't. Um, but what I learned is that the narrative side of it is not as important as the technical skill. Uh, which which is fine. It's a paint competition, so I, I get that. Um, but I also learned that all of the inclusion that I did of the display base and of Cassandra Nova uh, is the reason why uh, it kind of cost me. Because I, you know, despite all the work I did put into them, I made some decisions of like not going as high up on the car uh, because I was worried about it detracting from the Sentinels. I, I, I worried about it competing for your attention uh, from the Sentinels and, and making the piece a little too busy and confused. That was kind of my worry. And and apparently, uh, you know, the feedback I got from Dallas was that he understands that, but he thinks I underdid it on the car to where the car kind of looks unfinished. And, and I think he's right. I think that I, I, I tried to go up on it and of course, it being red, when you go up on red, uh, you you have to, you know, you can't just do like a dark red and then just go up on it without kind of having to do some corrective work for transitions and, and, you know, throwing in some like whites or something like that so you can actually get some strong highlights and then maybe going back and glazing it so you can make it look red again. Things I would normally do for something like that, I didn't do here because I was worried about it competing with the Sentinels. And I think that, I think I should have, that was a mistake. I, I think I should have done that. And interestingly, the feedback I got from Dave Taylor was that he had pointed the same thing out, that he felt the, the car needed more work. And when I explained kind of my thought process of why he did it, he, he actually showed me a piece he had done, and it's this, it looks like it might be a Warhammer fantasy piece, but it's either way, it's just kind of generic fantasy setting where there's this like 
guy tinkering away in a workshop, and it's in a box. So the, the display piece is framed in a box, and it's kind of this big workshop. And it's very bright in, like, the center, and then it kind of fades out and fades out, and it's very, very dark in the corners. And he, he talks about how um, I could have done that with my piece, essentially, where have, like, the corners of it fading out, and then have the highlights getting brighter and brighter when I get to the center. And so what ends up happening is it's, it, it's drawing the focus into the very center of the piece, uh, which, you know makes it to where it sells narrative better, it feels more cohesive, and then on top of that, because it's drawing you to the center of the piece, you don't really run into that, you know, the Sentinels versus the car type of issue, because you already have a focal point where your attention's being drawn to. Um, so I, I thought that was really, really interesting advice, and it really kind of taught me to think of things differently. Uh, I, it's not something that had really occurred to me, and so I, I, I really appreciated that feedback from him. Um, and, and and that's similar to the feedback that I got from Dallas, is that, uh, you know, I, it, it, he, he specifically said that it needs to be, like, all the pieces need to feel like they got kind of the same amount of work, that, that, or that lighting is affecting them the same way. And so that that's why the car kind of detracts, because it doesn't... It doesn't look like it's being lit the same way that the Sentinels are, and that I could have found a happy medium between where it's at and where the Sentinels are, where it's still high-dyed and lit up, but not so much to the point to it that it's taking away from the Sentinels. Uh, um, although, uh, I, I will say that the other judge gave almost literally opposite feedback. Um, I, I, I don't know who she was. I didn't catch her name. Uh, but she was one of the other judges, and her feedback was actually that the terrain was drawing too much focus away from the Sentinels, and she wanted me to go up higher on the Sentinels. So uh, I kind of chuckled when I walked away from the feedback on that because I didn't really know what to do with the fact that I was being given directly contradictory feedback. Uh, but I think the lesson that gave is, at the end of the day, this is art. It is subjective. The, these judges are basing things off kind of how something hits them, and so, you know, you have to re remind yourself if you're going into something like this that y y you are dealing with human beings that have different takes on things and what works for one judge might not for another. And I, I think that's a good lesson to learn because otherwise you might get too caught up in some kind of uh, objective analysis of it. And, and, you know, not to say that you can't do objective analysis of it because, you know smoothness of transition is an objective quality, right? There, there are objective qualities in doing stuff like this, but uh, that doesn't mean it's all objective. And where someone's focus gets drawn, you do have some control over that, but, um, but people are people, and so uh, some people might respond to it differently than others. So uh, it, it was very interesting getting, getting all that feedback. And also, interestingly... Um, I decided to go for, like, a canon interpretation of Cassandra Nova, where I looked through a lot of reference pictures, and she has this very kind of, um, I, I, I hesitate Wayne, to use the term. Yeah, yeah, yeah and it, it, it looks very, like, almost like a, a, a Nazi uniform in, in some respects. Like, it's mm -hmm. got a white shirt, and then, like, those 
pants that have like the weird flange out on the sides yeah. and then with like the leather boots and it 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 looks very prim and proper and and militaristic and kind of plain but it it's not the most visually interesting and the way i tried to get around that was by focusing on textures and i think the the problem is is that uh, you know the feedback i got from dallas is that the the clothes kind of feel like they all just blend together and and it, it made me realize that a canon interpretation on that was probably a mistake, that I probably should have gone for uh, something that is just more visually interesting. M maybe the the paint scheme that they did, I think, on the box where she's got, like, the green shirt and the, um, like, the orange scarf or whatever, something like that would have broken the piece up a little more and given it more visual interest. And <clears throat> And I guess that's something you have to think about when you're working on pieces like this is... You know, if it's just a gaming piece and you want it to look like a canon interpretation, great. But when you're doing, you know, a paint competition, you you now need to be thinking about how visually interesting is this. Uh, and so, in retrospect, uh, that, you know, that's maybe a way I should have been thinking about it as. Uh, same with the purple on the Sentinels, the feedback I got from... Dallas was that he would have liked to have seen kind of more color interest in the purple instead of just like the lilac that goes from like, you know, dark to light. Um, that that was a specific intentional decision on my part. I wanted the Sentinels to have um, a, a lot of value contrast, but I wanted their color palette to feel artificial. And so I, I explicitly chose just blacks and whites for my my way of getting the the value contrast out of the colors and uh, at the end of the day that was probably a mistake uh, for for in terms of a painting competition right i still think the sentinels look great i all sing their praises more than anyone else does i'm sure so uh, i don't don't take this as me regretting my my decisions or anything but it, it it's just a difference of how you would paint something for a competition versus how you're going to paint it for just wanting to play kind of thing is is my color choices kind of hurt me in that regard but uh yeah that's i mean i think that's it as far as like the the major feedback that i got it it, it kind of taught me that thinking about painting for a paint competition is just a very different experience than thinking about painting if, you, if you're just trying to paint minis to to play in the play the game and have fun with and um it it does give me second second guessing whether or not this is something I should do in the future just because it's a lot of energy, it's a lot of work, it's a lot of stress, I mean, it's a lot of money for me to go. Um, and, and at the end of the day, uh, you know, I, I don't paint because I want to win medals. I paint because, uh, you know, I enjoy it and I want to have stuff I'm proud of uh, on the table and and play fun games with it. That's, But, but at the same time, you know, it, I, I do feel like it was... There were a lot of really valuable lessons there, and I think it is going to help me grow as as a painter and a hobbyist going forward. So, um, I don't know. I guess I'm still kind of wrapping my head around uh, where something like this sits uh, in my mind as a hobby journey goes. If that makes sense. No, it it does make sense, and I, I think it kind of goes back to you know what we try to make this podcast about is like what is your goal on your hobby journey and how do you approach it and it. You know, if, if you want your goal to be better at painting, that's, you know, totally okay. Uh, a painting competition can be a component of that, like you're saying. It doesn't have to be the the whole 
like journey, right? It's it's all about what your goal is and and doing some things to help you get there. So I'm you know I'm right there with you. I I I think that that is a tough question to answer. It's obviously valuable to to do something like that, but it doesn't have to be you know the end all thing because like you kind of mentioned at the top, is it kind of sets you up for this headspace of where you're comparing to other people mm-hmm. like you're you know i don't want to say toxic and like you're acting toxic or one would be acting toxic not you specifically but like someone who competes in a lot of things like it's inherently very like winner take all so you can get into a toxic attitude right of, right of, uh, like like feeling you know this way or the other like it's, it's very natural for those feelings to to creep in and if that's that's how you define success in your hobby journey that that can be particularly tough um yeah no, i'm not yeah. saying that's what you're doing obviously it's just yeah no I, no I no I, who, who have competed a lot who who kind of sure, that burnout sure. points I, I i will say i'm actually glad you brought that up because one of the the moments i'm not the most proud of is you know then this just kind of shows my humanity is that uh i I didn't know that the Sentinels he put in for the squad category were were from him. I didn't know those were John Hose. And when I first looked at him, I just saw what looked like some well-painted Sentinels glued to a plinth. And I thought, well, yeah, but mine are also really well-painted Sentinels. And I've got the whole narrative going. And, and his didn't really jump out at me. And then combined with... I, I do feel like I was kind of the only squad entry that really had intentional narrative put into it for the most part. Uh, I think the there there were a couple other ones that had to have display bases where they, you know, um, they clearly put work into the display base, but the display bases were more of like a, hey, I made this so I can put my miniatures on it and it makes it easier to transport my squad when I'm at a tournament kind of thing. They didn't really have like a narrative to them per se. And so... I tricked myself into thinking that I was a shoe in that like, oh man, this, this is easy. Like if this is all I'm competing against, like, you know, I have these sentinels that so many people have gushed about and I've gotten such positive feedback from people about it. And, and then I've got this narrative going on and this display board and people seem to really like the display board. And I'm thinking like, how can I not get a gold? How can I not get a Mjolnir? So as the weekend went on, uh, I was thinking, like, man, I, I, I think I have a real shot here at bringing home a Mjolnir. And, uh, and, and man, was that a mistake. Uh, it, I really wish I had taken more time to just look through the other entries, because I think had I spent some more time looking, especially at John Ho's Sentinels, I would have realized, like, oh, wow, these, these things are immaculately painted. Like, these, these are just a higher quality paint job than my Sentinels. Uh, which would have been a super hard pill to swallow, <laughs> I mean, what with all the work I put into them. But it would have set me up with a much better expectation of what I was going to run into on Sunday. And so I, I did have like a big salty moment of disappointment when I saw I had only gotten silver and was like, and especially when I saw it was the other Sentinels that I, it, you know, and this is only because I hadn't taken the time to look at them. Uh, so I, I had that big moment and a big, bit of bit disappointment and let down and it was only when um i actually found out from you because i i was actually on the phone with people at the time i missed the uh the ceremony where they actually gave out the trophies um and i i found out from you that oh apparently john ho did like a clean sweep and at first i didn't know what you meant by that because he had also done a team tournament like the day prior where he had gotten 
best painted for that. So I, I was thinking you were saying he got that, then he got the Odin trophy, and then maybe one other thing. And so I was thinking like, oh, wow, I bet like, man, this guy's the renaissance man of the hobby. Like he's winning tournaments and getting best painted. And I didn't realize when you said clean sweep, you were referring to all of the uh, the worthy entries. And so I was kind of like, when I realized that, I was like, wait a minute. I was competing against him in my, in that category. I was like, no way. And so that's when I went back and kind of looked at the pictures I had taken. And, you know, I it, the display cases were always rather busy, so I didn't really get to dig too much into uh, any of the entries. I, I tried to snap a decent pick of each entrant. Um, but looking at the picture, I kind of got a, a hint of like, oh, interesting, this this is actually really well painted. And that's what made me realize, like, man, I really should have uh, taken the competition more seriously. I, I, I should have. And, and by competition, I don't mean the worthy competition. I mean the people I was competing against in my category. Like, I, I should have given them a better look over because I think had I done that and had I saw how good his sentinels were i would have had a much more realistic expectation and been like okay i'm i'm probably not going home with a milner um and then the the question really would have been would i have gotten a gold or not and if not why kind of thing so um yeah so that that was kind of my my humbling moment at adepticon where i i got a little too big for my britches and and that kind of goes to what you're saying is that it does put you in that headspace or it can um and so uh, lesson learned there. I, I, I'm definitely going to keep that in mind if I ever do something like this again, because I, I don't, I don't know. I, I'm always kind of at battle with my ego where, you know, you, you can, you're trying to build yourself up and, and sometimes that results in you getting a little too full of yourself and then you have a humbling moment kind of thing. And I, I, I try to keep myself humble before I have a chance to get there because it's not a good feeling, right, of realizing you've gotten too big for your britches and getting knocked down a peg kind of thing. And Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I, I think that's all, all um, you know, good insight. The only thing I would, you know, just, just add to tail on that is if stuff looks way different in hand than it does in the case. I've, you know, one of the competitions I did as I got uh, similarly confident in my ability, uh, but the, the, the thing in the case just looked a lot different than it did. So, I don't know. Good, good, good insight. Um, again, congratulations. I, I really do think it was it was well deserved. Uh, and you know, for for how tough they they seem to judge it, I think that that silver is a you know really good accomplishment. Oh, thank you. I, I appreciate it. And yeah, then the more the more I kind of get distance on it and am able to not have the emotional investment in it and able to just look at it the more i look at it and go you know this is my first ever like big pink competition and i took silver and i and this is in the same category where you had someone like john ho uh who is a phenomenal painter um and especially finding out how much work he put into his um uh, it's it's an honor to have gotten a silver uh amongst that level of competition that you know um uh, I, I've I've definitely come around, and it went from like a humbling moment to now I'm like, this is kind of cool. Like I'm 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 glad I did it, and I'm I'm proud of the results, and 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 it gives me you know something to shoot for. Should I do it again? That now I know like okay, 
only include what you want judged, and if you're going to include it, make sure you put the work into it to make it as good as you can. Um, these are all, you know, these are all things I have to keep in mind for next time, and um, and I also have to remind myself too that I I did not originally paint those sentinels to go into a paint competition at all. Like I just painted them because yeah. I wanted cool sentinels. So um, the fact that they ended up getting silver in a national paint competition, like hey, that's all bonus, right? So. Totally agree. All right, any any closing thoughts on Sentinels before we release you from talking about these uh... <laughs> ever ever again? Yeah. yeah, no, no, I think that's it. Um, I'm I'm glad to get out of that kind of egocentric headspace and to get back into just talking about painting and hobbying and and having fun. I'm I'm excited for that. Back back to a day to day of just kind of relaxing and using it as a, a stress reliever. Let's yeah, let's do it. Bring it I, on. I think that's the right attitude. All right. Um, so with that, I suppose that I'll talk a little bit about what I've been doing. Um, couple couple of things. I I did a uh, just real quick paint job on like a three D print um, agent anti venom. I always get these three D prints for models that are um, prone to breaking. So I. Uh, I did that with um, oh geez, with, with the uh, agent anti venom. There we go. I'm keep losing this word. Uh, so he came out okay. It was mostly just you know doing a white zenithal and then painting around it, which is you know a nice trick to uh, get a very quick uh, paint job if if you're looking for cheating white. Um, <laughs> and then uh, I've been working on a sentinel. So so. You know, Moriarty's is going to start stop talking about it, and I want to start talking about it. But, <laughs> um, yeah, I, I, you know, I actually, I, I think I mentioned it in the podcast before. I actually um, subscribed to Jonathan Ho's Patreon to to get his. You know, he's got a really good long form video of basically every detail of the Sentinel he did. So I subscribed to his Patreon. I watched that, you know, a couple of times, uh, and. I'm not following it beat for beat. I'm doing a couple of things in, in my own way, but um, yeah, that that's kind of uh, where I'm going. I, it's fine. I, I I'm not. Um, I like I mentioned on the podcast before. Like I'm not going for like a super refined, smooth look. Just given the amount of time, like I, I don't anticipate entering these into any competition. So I, I think I'm just going to leave them in like this pretty unrefined state. Um, like nothing's going to be really smooth. Like there's probably going to be some areas of it that are clumsy and I'm just going to force myself to be okay with it. Cause otherwise I'd, I don't really want to sink all of this hours into it, especially because, um, Nova is, you know, not around the corner, but it is, uh, probably sooner than I think. And I, I want to really try to, um, enter a piece into the Nova competition, like, like they have the capital palette competition, which is. A higher end painting competition. I want to try to do well in that after getting silver last year. I'm trying to break the uh, hobbyverse curse of of silver medals, <laughs> uh, and so I don't want to dedicate too much time to the Sentinels. Um, yeah, no, I I totally understand how that goes. I kind of had a similar feeling when I was painting Rhino, as I realized, like, man, I could paint this model forever if I wanted to drop 20 more hours into this model. I could, and I was like, I don't want to though. Like, I want to move on to other things, and this does look good. Uh, so I, I totally get that. Like, at some point, you do have to kind of 
decide where you want your stopping point to be and recognize that not everything needs your all. And so yeah. kudos to you for recognizing that ahead of time. Um, I think your Sentinels look, or your Sentinel, the one that you've got up there, uh, it looks phenomenal, by the way. I actually think there's there's a lot of ways in which I kind of even prefer it to my own. Like, I feel like your steel especially uh, looks a lot better than my steel on mine does. I, I When I look at the steel on mine, it feels, I don't know, it lacks that kind of shininess. Um, and I, I could never figure out why. Um, I think maybe I'm starting too dark, or I don't know what it is. But I really like how yours came out. Um, I think you really captured that, like especially like in the leg area, the little steel kind of piston cylinder thing. I think that looks great. Um, I, I like the roughness. I feel like it gives them like a sense of texture, and um, I, I think they look phenomenal, man. Like kudos to you on them. I'm, I'm really excited to see all three of them done. Yeah, that's kind. It'll be it'll be a while, um, but. I'm I'm just uh, happy to be almost done with the one. I think where I sit right now, I've got maybe one or two painting sessions to finish this. But I I kind of have like yours up and and Jonathan's up and you know a couple other people's up as as references to you know try to capture the best of everyone and then uh, not execute it as well as everyone else did. But I'm happy with how they're going. I um, you know I probably won't have too much to say. I mean unless you're curious about any parts of it. You mentioned the steel, so I'll just go over that briefly. Um, when I when I dig my Hulkbuster and I got feedback from Eric Swenson, I I was a little bit sheepish about how color neutral the steel was on that because he had just taught an NMM class about you know how to make good looking metals is to do um, you know stuff that has interesting midtones as like the true color of the substrate shows through. But then when I showed him my scent or my um, Hulkbuster, rather, he said, "Oh, I actually really like how you know your metals in the Hulkbuster are um, are all very neutral because every other part of the model is very color interesting. So it kind of um, you know blends into the background and and you know reads as metal while uh, letting the other parts of the model that are colored shine. Um, hmm. So so that's all to say that I, I intentionally like ch like have very little color in there. So it's just black into um, oh gosh, I think it's graphite gray into silver gray, which is like it's a little bit yellow, but it's very you know obviously you can see it. It's it's not super yellow into titanium white, so it's it's very you know neutral neutral grays. Um, I, I'm not a hundred percent sure because I think we use the same titanium white. I I, I think that like I re I I tend to reinforce my you know not my highlight highlight layer but the one right below that with like two to three layers to really get that white to start showing through or at least the bright silver to show through hmm. so maybe that's why it's it's reading a bit more like sharp on that i i don't know if i agree with you that it does but um uh so so i don't know if, if you try the nmm again like uh Maybe try a, a couple of layers. I mean, I, I'm sure you do. Like, is your process when you paint your white that you go over it a couple of times, or? It, generally, yes. But I think, in particular, with the steel, I think I'm not spending enough time in like the midtone area. I think that's probably what it is. Is as I start highlighting up, I think I'm narrowing the highlights too much. If if I had to guess as to what I think is going wrong and the reason why it doesn't read to me as because uh, I see a lot of non-metallic metal steel where I'm like, oh wow, that feels like steel, and then I look at mine and it feels dull in comparison. 
Um, and it could be maybe I just need a, a reinforced final highlight of like the titanium, but I, I suspect it's more than that. I, I think it might be that I'm not giving the mid-tone color enough room to breathe, if that makes sense. Yeah, that 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 could be plausible. I I, I guess it's really tough to to give advice when I'm not 100% what the process is. Yeah, I I don't know. I'm I'm also like these small NMM parts of the Sentinel like are really really the time sucks for me and I actually hate painting those like little pistons and stuff cuz of just how mm -hmm. much time it takes. Yeah, I I I'm with you. Uh but that that's what I'm doing painting my Sentinels um I won't do a display base with it, so I'm, I'll, I'll be done a lot sooner. Hopefully. We'll see. Uh, but my plan is, I, I just kind of want to power through them. I don't, I'm, I'm a little bit worried as if I stop after like one or two that I won't finish. So my plan uh, is to just really, really uh, crush my soul and, and just go finish this one, start on the next one. I, I might do a light 3D print in between just to do something, but um, probably just going to be painting these for a while. Gotcha. Yeah, yeah, I know how that goes. I, I looked out in the, um, my f the not the Prime, but the other two, I had, like, smaller local competitions that acted as kind of motivation to get it finished, and that helped out a lot. So if, if you can find anything like that, I recommend it, because it'll, it'll help at least get some motivation to, to get it done. But yeah, it's, it, you know, doing a non-metallic metal Sentinel is, is a lot of work, for sure. Um, it's hard to get out of that without spending you know, 30, 40, 50 hours on one model. And that's, that can be super exhausting. So I, I totally, I totally get that. K kudos to you for even taking it on, to be honest. When I want to get halfway through the, uh, the second one and then just wish I did the Sorostro approach. <laughs> I, I totally understand why Sorostro looked at that and was like, yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to do like a, a undercoating kind of quick and dirty, which, and of course it's Sorostro. So he finds a way to even make that look amazing. Uh, but I, I totally get that mentality. Like, especially after what I just did. Yeah, no, I, I get it. He's the better man. Uh, so that that's it. That's hobby stuff for me. Um, there's a couple things I want to mention. I, I I talked about the the Nova Open. So if if anyone is you know planning on going to the Nova Open, um, you know I'll be there. Uh, so definitely looking forward to that. It's a, it's a nice gaming convention on the East Coast. Um, I, I wanted to give a soft plug. It's it's not MCP related, but I I do like these guys stuff. So um, if if you if the uh Black Sight Studio is a like independent uh game well they, they started as um terrain people uh but i think that they found there's a lot more money in making miniatures for games so they're an independent um like terrain type manufacturer that's gone into the game business and and their games are fine but what but what i really like is um uh one of their games called don't look back which is like a 90s campy horde theme miniatures game where you play as a survivors and then you're you're battling against like an AI type, you know, killer, which is, you know, not Freddy Krueger, not Jason, not uh not um any number of other ones. Like you fight against like clowns and stuff. Um I, I, I think that it's fun. I think that the models are cool if if you like that um you know campy horror type thing. Uh they're they're doing their uh you know, I guess it's a second edition um game. So if, if you're you know, the listener is interested in that type of game. They're doing a second edition, uh, just a soft plug there. They paid me, you know, obscene amounts of money to mention this. So, 
Nice. Yeah, I, I've uh, been familiar with them from the terrain. Uh, they were one of the places that you could go to to source kind of uh, terrain that I would use either for the Batman miniatures game or for the Walking Dead miniatures game, which I, uh, you know, kind of dove into on my own. So I, I had been to Black Sight Studios a number of times, kind of checking out their terrain. And I saw, I think, the early the stuff of, like, the Don't Look Back, um, but I, I never got to dig into it. Um, so, so have you played it? I, I've played it twice. Uh, it's it's solid. Yeah, it's I mean it's, it's an easier game. It's definitely like a beer and pretzels with your friends game. It's it's very mm -hmm. narrative. Um, I, it's it's a bit rules heavy for like or wordy heavy for for how light the game actually plays out. Mm. Um, this this you know second edition their promise or you know one of the things that they're saying is. That they're kind of stripping that wordy heavy back so maybe it's a little bit more lightweight they, they, i think they've had now three years to kind of refine how they'd want to word the rules um yeah i've played it it's solid um i i i have a little bit of a, a soft spot for the the art style and the you know 90s horror themed stuff so i, gotcha. I kind of like the minis um they're, they're actually solid minis for like being you know independently resin cast like they're they're surprisingly um good for you know independent studio nice so, uh, speaking of trying out different games i i had forgot to mention i don't know if i had told you um i got to do the shatterpoint demo oh you did it how was it I did um it, it's you know it's interesting i i originally was like well the models look cool and i kind of want to paint them but i'm not huge into like prequel era stuff that's not really my jam so i was thinking about skipping it um, and then playing it, like it's kind of like a weird combination of uh, Marvel Christ Protocol and Star Wars Legion, in the sense that you have like a deck where you draw cards to see who activates, and it's similar to kind of the order system of activation that Legion has. Uh, the movement and range stuff is very MCP, um, but it it also has it set up to where there's different phases of the game, where like, okay, phase one here's your objectives and then at the end of that once that's played out and you've determined who's won that you go to phase two and where the objectives are and what they are changes oh, and and so there's like several points during the game where everything resets except for your characters and their health levels and stuff like that and so there's a big emphasis in the game on like adaptability that it like mid-battle you now have to change the way you're thinking about battlefield and and where your guys need to be and stuff like that and it, the, you know the demos they're they're rushing a ton of people through these demos so i didn't get to really heavily dig into it i, I was just kind of going through the little presentation they had kind of set up for it but uh it was very intriguing like the gameplay actually looks pretty fascinating and it, it made me think wow i'm actually interested in this now and so I was already sitting there thinking, like, hmm, I might, I might be down to actually pick this up. And then, of course, during the reveal panel, they revealed they're actually going to be coming out with original trilogy stuff. So they've got, they're going to oh, have no. Ewoks that, you know, uh, the, I think the, the good guy stuff that they revealed was it's got, like, Jedi Luke, uh, where he's got, like, the black outfit and the green saber. And then it comes with, like... Leia in the Boosh outfit and Londo in the Tamtel Screech outfit when they're trying to rescue Han with like R2. Like that's one of the packs. And so um they're they're hitting all of my 
my nostalgia bones with that. And so it's like, okay, like that I I I might not be able to stop myself from from diving in headfirst on this. But to be honest with you, I think a lot of that's going to come down to how quickly the original trilogy stuff comes out cuz I I'm still just not terribly motivated by by the prequel stuff. But but at any rate, the game looks actually really interesting. Um the gameplay wise, it's like wow, this this actually looks like it's going to be uh, a really interesting and and different uh, as far as miniature games go, it, it looks like it's actually setting itself apart from a lot of other games. So, kind of cool. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm definitely, you know, I, I put in a pre-order request, and I think I'm gonna get a couple of the boxes and then see. I financially, I don't, and, and I guess time-wise, I don't want to commit to kind of what mm-hmm. I do with MCP, which is yep, yep, getting most of everything. But um, at the same time, I, I do, you know, like kind of how especially the the stuff that they're um the stuff that they're uh revealing um in that panel that you mentioned i, I think is cool so yeah i'm i'm probably going to get some of it uh see how i like it and then go from there um but i i don't know i i like the scale of it but i i think that i'm a little bit turned off by the you know the runt type figures that you'd have to paint like uh Count two Kubox, I think, looks like it came with uh, three uh, were they super battle droids. Uh, so anyway, like painting three of the same model. I don't know. I'll have to try it. I, I might end up like liking it. Um, yeah. It all kind of depends on. I, I, I feel like my biggest concern uh, with it from a hobby standpoint is like lightsabers snapping. I oh, sure. Yeah. That's something I'm very worried about going into it. That's like, oh, man, you know you're going to be playing against people who've got, like, Darth Maul holding his hand out, and it, and, and it looks like his lightsaber isn't on because both the blades snapped off, like, you know, months ago. I'm worried about that, and I'm curious to get it, you know, you didn't really get to handle the models too much during the demo, so I'd, I'd be interested in seeing... Uh, it, how that it, looks? It, how, yeah, how that is once you get it in your hands. Like, are are you going to have to be constantly worried about them snapping, kind of thing? Yeah, I mean, you mentioned from a hobby perspective, and and that that is true. the The other thing is, uh, like, from a painting perspective, um, the uh, Star Wars type of color palette tends to be a lot similar. Where you know, one of the reasons I like MCP is is each model is kind of a its own challenge right right yeah yeah i think i think for me it might be a case where i get like a small collection of just something i'm interested in and that's just what i do for shatterpoint as opposed to mcp where i'm doing the whole catalog yeah yeah we'll see i uh i tend to uh say that and then you know go way overboard (laughs) on stuff so we'll we'll see we'll see I'm, i'm typically excited for it but probably um going to try to remain reserved maybe we'll end up uh doing an into the shatter verse uh <laughs> <laughs> well you know the nice thing about the hobby verse is uh it's just another it's just another dimension if we talk about star wars yeah that's true all right uh well it, i i think that that's a nice you know catch up sorry for being gone for a couple of weeks but you know back at it um yeah, uh, and so that takes us to our our main topic. Do you do you want to introduce? It? I always introduce the main topic. I want to hand the reins over to you here. Sure. Yeah. Uh, so, in the in the interest of them coming out with uh, new Hulk and Modok models, I thought it would be a good idea to kind of 
revisit the original versions of those characters and and that way if anybody's about to pick up the the new really cool uh supreme scientist modok and the new uh new hulk the immortal hulk model coming out and you you know didn't want to have to wait for us to eventually get around to those models before you can get some kind of in, insights and advice and whatnot uh we we might as well start digging into that stuff and so perfect time to discuss hulk yeah, no, exactly. So, uh, yeah, kind of a throwback to, um, you know, I guess we're taking AMG's approach. We're just gonna, they're just going to start re-releasing all of the original characters. I, I, I want to put in a soft plug that I called it that they were going to re-release all the Wakanda stuff, and we're getting another Black Panther. So they're they're sticking to their narrative, and so are we. So so all the way back to Hulk. Yes, uh, indeed. Blast from the past. It's been a long time since I painted this many. Yeah, mine too. I, I was kind of thinking about it, um, you know, before we started recording. I think this might have been like one of the first ten um, models that like I've painted from the catalog. It, it was definitely early on because I thought it would be, and it was an easy model given the approach I took, which was you know airbrush and then reinforcing. But I'll get into a little bit later. Um, so you know, the Hulk model is. I, I think it still kind of stands up up to a degree. Um, I, I, it is it is one of the it is a cool model from the catalog. Like it, obviously the new Immortal Hulk that they're coming out with has um, you know a lot more dynamicism to it. But the the OG Hulk model has you know it, it's got kind of a presence. Like I think for me, like when MCP came out, it was definitely one of those models that was you know and an eye grabber early on like oh you get to play with hulk like i think he's got this forward lurching pose that like kind of conveys some weight to the model um so i i think it is you know it still kind of stands up to a degree and it's, it's got a decent amount of you know, musculature detail for uh for the size that it is um i i will say you know one of the the difficulties with it is um it doesn't go together particularly well and uh, you know at least mine didn't um, so there, there's a good degree of gap filling you have to do. Um, one thing I didn't mention in the hobby catch-up, I don't want to give kudos to you, is um, I picked up the Vallejo plastic putty for the first time. And I'm oh, actually cool. trying that. And man, that stuff works you know, really well, I think. I, I actually really like the the plastic putty. Yeah, it's it's a game changer for me in terms of like gap filling. Uh, I had been trying a ton of different things for gap filling, everything from liquid green stuff to just like painting in some you know matte varnish kind of thing i i had been trying all kinds of things for it that that, that never really felt like they worked and then like the pla the plastic putty combined with like you know some filing down when necessary and stuff like that i it does wonders for gap filling so i'm i'm really glad to hear that 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 helped you out it, it was a big help for me too yeah so yeah really I, I guess I'll renege on my um yeah, my previous advice was to use the the oh gosh, what is it? The um sprue goo, which you know I, I still think is solid advice, but uh, I think the Vallejo plastic putty if you can get your hands on it is is uh is quite nice. And you know, if, if you haven't painted Hulk yet or you're thinking about picking him up, it's it's definitely um worthwhile because he, he has some pretty big gaps in the joints between his arm and his like uh his wrist area that can be smooth nicely with that yeah yeah he he definitely has that kind of you could tell he's an earlier sculpt and they were still trying to kind of you know uh, 
learn the process of designing miniatures and getting them on a sprue and I, I can only imagine all the work that goes into that and and you can tell on him there's there's a little bit of dating there just in terms of uh the a little bit of awkwardness in the build and uh some gap filling and stuff like that but but otherwise i agree with you i think i think he actually has aged fairly well as far as models go i feel like if they did him today you know, you, you'd probably see some some better details here and there, but like a lot of the musculature, I think, is actually really well done. Um, I, I think it's a pretty good sculpt. Yeah, and um, you know, one of the things you can do, um, you know, relatively easily with the the Hulk to, to you know maybe I don't want to say modernize, but, but but maybe just kind of bring it up to um, you know a notch up is is do some minor reposing and and additions to it. So some common things I've seen is like kind of the way he's standing is is if you kind of repose just one of his feet a little bit, you can get him you know in a pose that's a bit more running, or or have him like boosting off of something. You can get him moving forward and kind of the way he's standing is you, you get a lot of uh, movement out of that, like like you'd get a lot of extra um, I don't know let's call it oomph out of that because he he does look like he's moving forward. So if you just angle him a bit more forward. You can get uh you know a more dynamic lurching pose. Um, you can really take that far, and, and I, I I love this model, so I want to put it out there. But um, Colin Sex, who's Master Sex Studio on uh, Instagram, um, he did this really cool conversion with the Hulk model, where he you know he he cut the model up and and kind of you know took that idea to the extreme and and really gave it this dynamic running forward pose that I I think works really well. Um, so there's there's definitely a range of minor to big conversions you can do to to make the model look cooler. Another thing that people like to do is is I think it's his right hand that's kind of in that fist. So you can put um, like a lot of people put a traffic light in there or or something that he's kind of grabbing onto to make it look like he's about to throw something or smash something. I think that that's a you know a nice detail that you can add. I think a lot of people use the traffic light from the core box or maybe a stop sign. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a super um, easy conversion to do, and it looks really cool for sure. Yeah, yeah, and it, uh, it, you know, these days it, it looks a bit similar to the um, looks similar to the Juggernaut model, but you know, that's okay. It, it still looks cool. It makes me wonder if uh, that's not accidental. If the when they went to Juggernaut, they realized like, hey, I kind of wish we had done that with Hulk, and so they decided mm. to do it with Juggernaut. Makes you wonder. Yeah, I, I could definitely buy that. Yeah, so so anything like on the hobby inside that that you know, I, I obviously you know Hulk was early on for us, so we didn't do anything. But anything that you've seen that you think's worth calling out on, like you know, cool Hulk stuff, like conversion wise or reposing wise, uh, I, I've mostly seen just minor reposes where, uh, like even just you know, taking like his uh, his right arm with the fist, like doing a bit of a repose, you can make it look like. Uh, the fist is like kind of closer to his face and his arm is back a little more like he's about to do kind of a like really lean into a punch kind of pose. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I've seen people do some stuff like that. Uh, I, I think you're right in that there's is an easy model, just something about the pose. There's like little tweaks you can do uh, that of course are going to require you doing, you know, green stuffing and whatever to, to make it look right. But 
little bits you can do to kind of recontextualize his pose in a way that looks really cool. And I've, I've seen a little bit of that here and there, but mostly like putting something in the fist. I think that's probably the biggest, uh, the biggest conversion I've seen on him. Yeah. And I, you know, it's definitely easiest to execute and, and, and adds a lot, a lot to it, which is, you know, always nice. Yeah, for sure. Uh, okay, well, you know, moving forward towards the painting model, um, you know, there's a couple things we wanted to talk about, uh, and I'll hand it to you for the technical side, and then maybe I'll talk about, like, the two different approaches to a color palette that you could take, because um, there's kind of two main color ways I've seen that depict Hulk, but I, I think that your kind of thoughts that we talked about before on the... Um, you know, the technical aspects of painting the Hulk and, and you know, kind of what you learned painting him, I, I think are are interesting to have up top. So I'll hand that over to you. Yeah, yeah. Um, so Hulk is the model for me where the the message finally hit where I was like, I gotta stop painting his his muscles like they're panels. I've mentioned this several times in the podcast now. This was a long process for me to learn. Uh, Hulk was the model where I finally realized I was doing it and realized I needed to stop. Uh, and ironically, I was realizing this mid-paint job, and so despite realizing that, I still did it a bunch. So a lot of aspects on him, you look at it, and it's it's like a panel. It's It's really bright up top, it's really dark down below, and it transitions. And... You know, the contrast helps save the paint job, like the fact that it goes from really dark to really light still gives it a lot of visual interest, so it's not, it doesn't look bad or anything, but it's not a realistic way of highlighting things, and, you know, I can, that horse is probably pretty dead by now, how many times I've beat it on the podcast, but uh, he was the model that really helped me realize that that was an issue that I needed to break out of. So, and it's because of the sculpt. Uh, he is like a lesson in volumetric highlighting. He he is a series of orbs and cylinders, and you know, obviously, not literal ones. He's a series of like oblong or or distorted orbs and cylinders. Like his musculature uh -huh. is perfect for driving home the lesson of these are different volumes, and so you have to think about them as a volume when you're highlighting them. And that's you know not something I really did on him but this is what made me realize I needed to. So I feel like if, if you're going to talk about Hulk and you're going to talk about how to paint him and make him look good, uh, volumetric highlighting is huge with him, more, more so than most other models, because his musculature is, is him. That's what you're painting, right? He's Hulk. He, he's, he's just a big old ball of muscles. And so you have to, you have to think about that when you're painting him. And so... I, I highly recommend anybody that's going to do this find reference photos. E even if you're only finding reference photos of shapes, like look up uh, cylinders and lighting and spheres and lighting and things like that and get an idea of where's the shade at, where's the highlight at. Uh, think about that stuff when you're painting his muscles and you will have a much, much, much better looking Hulk as a result. Uh, it's, it's a big part of him. Uh, and then the the other thing I would say is a big deal with him is the face. He, he is a model where you can't really get away with trying to downplay his face because it's big and it's a big prominent part of him and his big grimace with the teeth showing is such a 
an integral part of the model and the character of it that you, you kind of have to just accept that you're, you're, you got to tackle his face. Like his eyes are big enough that even if you're the kind of person like I was where I, you just try to avoid eyes and you, you know, just do a shade in, in the eye socket and call it good. Can't really get away with that here. Um, it looks odd if you don't. Uh, so any, any things we've said in the past about working on faces and working on eyes, you have to keep that in mind when you're working on Hulk from a technical standpoint. It's a big part of this model. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, the, the way that the Hulk face is positioned, you can do a lot of interesting, you know, coloration things, like like some stuff I would suggest, especially if you're working with the green tone, which is, you know, unless you're doing an alternate color scheme, uh, you can do that. Like, add add more red than you think to his lower lip to, like, differentiate that detail. Like, add in some subtle blues to the, the or add blue tone to your green to, like, differentiate the chin area. Like, glaze some red on the underside of the cheeks and then more yellows towards the top of the face. Um, you know, his eye sockets are actually really expressive, so, like, like one interesting thing to do is to get more red in there, like, so it becomes, starts to become visible, so he kind of looks like, um, you know, Hulk from uh, the Age of Ultron, like, after Scarlet Witch, like, I don't know, I don't remember exactly what he does, like, but curses him or whatever, and then He's got that like eye, like his eyes are all red and 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 weary looking. I think that this Hulk model, you know, lends itself to that, which which you know, creates a lot of uh, extra expression that can come out there, given how accentuated his lower eye eyelid is. So yeah, like like a lot of stuff that you can do on the face that really um really could bring the model up. Yeah, yeah, I, I think I think that's a really good point. Is uh, he's he's a model that the face actually acts as an opportunity to really add a lot of character and make, make the model stand out. So don't, don't skimp on the face when you're doing Hulk. It's a big part of him. Yeah. Uh, I, I wanted to go back to the, um, you know, the challenges of painting the musculature. And I can't remember if I've talked about this on the model, but, or on, on the podcast before, but I'll, I'll mention it again. Um, so, so one, one thing that was kind of a learning lesson for me was, um, Everything that you said about painting, uh, painting the highlights in the correct places is absolutely true. But there's an added, you know, interesting challenge that comes with when you're talking about skin tones and skins, and and it's the fact that skin finish has a particularly satin look um, to it because of you know the oils that people's skin has, and and that makes light behave interestingly on. Um, on a model so so i see this in both of our models because it's early on but but one thing that um you know makes skin look odd is if you don't connect a lot of the segments of skin like you know it's particularly relevant when you do it on abs like each of your abs is kind of you highlight it like a gosh i don't even know how to describe it i don't know it it, it looks like a um, a box of pork buns right or or um biscuits (laughs) where where each of the like each section of the abs is is highlighted on its own and isn't connected together um in a way you can like like see this as if you i posted two images in our our discord of uh you know bodybuilder stylized photos but if you look at the area between like where those abs connect it's actually a highlight space like the the way that the light interacts where those two like 
concave curves meet and then you know go back out to the other muscle is is lights actually want to reflect down that line so if i were to do my my hulk again i would want to make sure to like draw that highlight line down those areas of the muscle and that actually makes it look a lot more convincing like skin um especially like skin like he would be where he's a little bit oily and sweaty because he's out there rampaging it's funny um we were talking about this before my, my hulk model is actually super glossy because of the varnish i put on it it wasn't intentional but kind of looking at it in the photos gives a a good idea of um <laughs> of, of what i'm talking about especially on the back like you can see where his two you know oversized back muscles connect there's a white line down the middle of those two and that's all the, the literal lighting and gloss reflecting rather than i didn't paint that in if you know, it was a different angle. Same thing on the front, like where his two um, pectorals connect. Um, so, like anywhere those large muscles connect, and and it would catch light like that. Drawing a line down that, or or trying to you know lessen how stark that that line would be. Um, you know, another thing is like where a muscle curve kind of finishes and starts to meet another muscle curve. Like like those typically become a little bit brighter. And connect up to the other muscle curve. Um, trying to look through this Google Image Gallery to find a good example of that, but um, yeah, I don't know. Maybe the advice just kind of comes down to Google Bodybuilder and and just kind of look at some of those reference images and uh, get a sense of how like skin behaves on on uh, you know people. This is actually a pretty good image. Let me this this one too. Yeah, that's a good point. Anyway. That's a good point. I, I, you know, I'm getting caught up in like a, a technical aspect of just how to make sure the light placement makes sense. But um, it, 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 that's something that the texture of something and how that affects the way light interacts with it is, I mean, that's really good insight. And it, it's one of those things that for whatever reason, I just don't think like that. And so you bring it up and I'm like, huh, yeah, that is a thing, isn't it? So uh, well, nicely said, yeah. Yeah, I, I, no, I think what you're saying is right, because actually I really like this last picture, because if you look at this guy's leg, right, like his leg is almost perfectly highlighted like you would paint a cylinder. Like it's just some guy standing in a lighting, and like that lighting, that is exactly what you're saying, where that highlight is straight down the middle of that cylinder, right? That's, that's how you'd expect, where you know, if you're a more novice painter, you would paint that towards the top in a GW style, mm -hmm, right? Mm -hmm. Right. And same thing on his his other you know uh his thigh leg that you can see and and the stuff I'm talking about is is a little bit more micro detail where like if you look at where the second segment of his arm connects to the first segment is you see this little line of where the most like that that highlight gets pushed all the way up until where that other curve starts and then it gets darker mm -hmm. so like and that is a function of the skin oil reflecting a little bit differently than. You know, a totally matte finish would would look right, right. But then on a on a macro level, like if you just look, you know, you can trace that line of light from like you know where the his neck is all the way down straight through his arm, and that's all kind of like you said in that cylinder type space where you'd expect it. Right, right. So it's it's you know it's challenging like like painting skin accurately. It's why um, a lot of like when you see you know professional type painters working on models is they're always drawing um, or like. The the bare chested people, the people who aren't wearing a lot of clothes, like the barbarian type stuff, people, you know, gravitate towards this model as as learning busts because you have to think about these challenges both from a 
generic painting perspective, like you said, and the capture, and then the difficulty of capturing realistic light behavior on your finish. And then, um, you know, the third further challenge, which is more color based of painting, you know, interesting, convincing skin. Right, right. Huh. I was going to make a joke of like, ironically, you could just like do the Verdashio technique on Hulk and then just not do flesh over him. And then, <laughs> but, but that wouldn't really work yeah, on would... the face. <laughs> yeah, it would, it would be tougher on the face. But yeah, I mean, it, it would, it would kind of get you there. It, it might be a little yellow, but um, I mean, you could, you could do the Verdashio and then glaze it back over with green, actually. That, that'd be an interesting. Yeah, a nice little experiment. See if, uh, yeah. see if it still works. Yeah. So yeah, I mean that, that's that's I wanted to chime in with that on the technical side, but I, I think everything you said is valid. It's just it's a little bit more like interest when it comes to skin specifically that I wanted to touch on. Uh, anything else you wanted to highlight on, you know, your learning experience or um, just generic like painting advice for the Hulk, like technical side? No, I don't think so. I think um, I, that that pretty much covers kind of my experience with them. Uh, it, it, a lot more. I guess kind of basic advice, but that's kind of where I was at when I painted him. So I, I feel like, you know, learn the lessons I had to learn before you go to painters. No, yeah, and that's that's what we're here for. Uh, okay, well, so for the last little bit here, I wanted to talk about like two types of tones that like I've seen depicted in the Hulk, and maybe we can brainstorm recipes for that. Uh, one is like a very earthy MCU type look where um, you know, the, it's it's a bit desaturated. Like he doesn't quite have that uh, like neon, like bright glow that you probably see in video games a lot of the time. Like it's it's very earthy. It's you know I would describe it as realistic, even though obviously it's still cartoonish having a green skinned monster running around town. But um, we'll we'll call it more grounded, realistic. Uh, style versus um, the other side, which is where you see it in a video game, where it's hyper neon, like super bright in your face, very eye catching, uh, neon green, and and I think neon green in particular like works really well for that type of uh, style. So, which one do you want to start with? Uh, which of those two? Um, I you know it's a I I guess taking a look at mine. What would you say mine is? Because I, I, I don't know, mine, when I look at it, all I see is like a forest green. And so I don't know, yeah. like, would you call that earthen? Would you call that neon? I, I don't even... I, I think it's closer to the neon. Um, I mean, it's definitely, or I'm sorry, closer to the earthen. Um, but that's more of a, like, conceptually. Obviously, I think if you put on a color wheel, I don't exactly know where it lands. But I think it's closer to, like, an earthen type, like, realistic look. Gotcha. But there's not a lot of, like, fluorescence in there that would catch your eye, right? Like, right, it's, it's right. probably more subdued, maybe. I see, I see. That I would call out. Okay, yeah. But it is, it is, it is maybe, like, a third distinct style. Maybe, maybe it's hard to kind of bucket into those two. Obviously, there are other ways to paint, and that's sure, just kind sure. of the... Two of the ways I've seen them painted. Okay, well, I guess let's go into the earthen then. Yeah. So, you know, in, in my mind, this is what I tried to go for on my Hulk, and um, the way I did my Hulk is I, I actually did a uh, an oil wash on him, and I'm trying to remember if it was burnt sienna or red earth that I used, but um, the the general idea is that red and green are on opposite sides of the color wheel. And when you mix those together, you know, I think we've talked about the idea of a chromatic black before, but 
um, if, if you mix things together that are on the opposite side of the color wheel, more or less, you get um, like this interesting desaturated version of the color. The way that light interacts with those is going to lower the value a lot. So you get a very interesting shade type color. So, you know, mixing in red with green gives a very desaturated, natural looking shadow to that green. And I think that that's kind of the core of this. Now with Hulk, it's it's interesting that you can add in more red than than um and, and this is what I did. You can add in more red than like you would traditionally do that recipe. And instead of getting, you know, a desaturated green, you're actually getting a desaturated red or, you know, red type color, maybe closer to orange, and then starting from there as a shadow color and then highlighting up to the green. And that'll give you like a really interesting, like earthen style, like natural shadow type color where um it'll look maybe more realistic, more like something you'd expect. Like maybe some of it's shadow, maybe some of it's like dirt and grime that's built up on the green skin. Um and and it looks particularly interesting with the green skin because of the uh the contrast that you build between those two colors. Hmm. And then uh you know you can highlight that up to you know something with yellow in it like ice yellow is a popular one and then it'll give you a very nice like realistic maybe looking skin tone there if, if you start with you know a burnt sienna mixed in type green uh starting place interesting yeah th this is another one of those where uh you know this was early on enough in my painting career where any thought about kind of color theory and doing anything interesting with colors just was not in my brain and so uh the my green is very basic it, it's just like a forest green with some it, it's kind of that that typical like oh base um highlight or or like under shade coat base coat highlight kind of recipe um and so it's interesting it, it it always is hard for me to wrap my head around when i hear people throwing around colors about red and this that and the other thing as like a color interest when you're trying to do like green skin um my, my brain always <clears throat> throws like a a 404 error <laughs> whenever i try to think of something like that so i i think that's pretty fascinating i i mean i can see it now that you're saying it but um i i wouldn't have guessed that there was anything like that going on uh with your whole well, well frankly frankly when i did it i i didn't quite understand all of the reasons I was doing it. I think I saw it in some video or just like in a post where someone was like, yeah, just, you know, wash it down with an orange and it'll look better than you thought. So I did like a burnt sienna oil wash with it. I didn't fully appreciate all of the aspects. And, and I, I, you know, frankly, I still don't fully appreciate all the aspects of, you know, how much you can explore with that until, you know, I had a bit more experience doing that on type of on the, um, on the, Oh, what am I trying to say there? I had more experience doing that, like with more models, like getting a better sense of how those colors would interact. But I, I certainly didn't have all that at the time, and I, I certainly don't have as much of that I want to. But it's it's kind of just picking up those little things, and then you can start to tie that around more. Um, you certainly don't, uh, you know, color is a is a huge huge uh, aspect of the hobby that takes takes a lot of time to master to your point mm -hmm. yeah for sure it's one of the reasons why i appreciate 
uh, having you as my co-host on the podcast is because like you, you've openly kind of exposed yourself to more of that line of thinking and it's an area, you know, where I'm much less practiced. And so I, I, I really appreciate those insights. It's, it gives me a lot of ideas of like, oh, wow, I should, I should experiment more. It, it kind of, um, on a similar note, I, I intentionally did that when I was doing Emma is I decided I wanted her to have kind of a frost feel. And so I decided to um, actually paint her like a, a teal and then highlight up into white. And that's not something I would normally ever think of doing. My default would be doing like a gray tone and just going up into white. And I was able to get something that just feels more atmospheric doing it that way. And uh, that would never have happened had we not had all these interesting discussions about using colors you don't expect to kind of influence uh, a paint job you're working on. So that's that's really interesting. Yeah, I, I didn't mention it, but I, I definitely did notice that you did that. And, and I think that your uh, Emma looks great in that um, you know, in that realm oh. with with that uh, added added blue like undertones and it definitely builds what exactly what you said the atmosphere there right right yeah and, it, and it's it, yeah it's it, it's interesting how subtle color can be in in influencing stuff like that and how it changes the entire feel of something but it doesn't do so in a way that is necessarily obvious yeah like like if you were to do those like pixel charts where you can just strip out like you take your photo or your model and you line up all of the colors like the amount of blue that would be there is very small, but the impact of that blue is a lot larger than like the percentage share of the model right, that occupies. Right. Yeah. And a similar idea with like this Hulk model, like if you want to give it this earthen look or, you know, more grounded, natural type look, um, going with like a bird sienna or like a earth red as a like glaze or undershade, like is definitely going to do that as well. Uh, well, well, then the other approach, uh, you know, just shuffling along, the other approach that you can take is is the exact opposite, where where you are going for that full in your face neon look, like he's he's three minutes outside of the uh, gamma microwave and he looks you know extremely hot and radioactive, um, and you know, this this is a fun one to do because you don't want to do any of what I said. I think you want to start with. You know, probably like a midtone that that's very saturated um, colors, and then you want to you know work with greens that have more yellow because those uh, greens are going to have more luminosity to them, and I think that's kind of like a uh, something that we've talked about before in brief, but it's it's kind of the idea of of having more power or you know brightness to the model, uh, and and that just kind of comes down to yellow like being incorporated in the color mix. Mm. So you can either add in yellow. Um, I actually wouldn't use ice yellow for this. I would use something that's more um, like a lemon yellow, like a really ugly yellow that you wouldn't use for anything, but works great for mixing in the greens to achieve this look. And then um, you know, as you work up the highlight color, the other component of this in my mind is, is using a uh, fluorescent green, because obviously that's going to impart a lot of... Uh, uh, brightness to the to how the miniature interacts with light being that fluorescent pigments are going to be in there. Yeah, yeah. On that note, I 
last night I actually went out and picked up a bunch of Dollar Rowney inks. I stopped by oh. Michael's and they had like a fluorescent pack. So I picked that up as well as like a, a regular one and then kind of a, a third one that has kind of a, a batch of different things. And uh, I'm particularly excited to have access to uh, more variety of fluorescents. Uh, specifically for doing stuff like this when you want something to have kind of like an energy glow and in my case it's probably going to be more geared around like energy effects like uh, i'm going to be doing a jean gray repaint at some point and i want to especially make like that kind of pink energy on hers look look better uh but yeah hulk same idea right if you're trying to get that that energy glow um uh, yellow is a big part of it and then of course green so that might be something i try to experiment on either on immortal hulk or my hulk repaint is uh playing around with fluorescence to see uh, how it impacts doing that like glow um because in the past every time i've used fluorescent paints uh i've, I've always really liked the it, it, color choice is important uh, i remember i tried i had like a fluorescent i think it's a model color fluorescent yellow and I used tried using that on it was somebody's blast effect. I was still trying to kind of nail down like how do you get a good recipe for like kind of an explosion with the glow to it. And I use model color fluorescent yellow. And the problem is it has kind of like a neon. It's it's more yeah. of like a oh, I don't know secret of the use kind of uh, feel to it. It it doesn't have a it's not like a warm yellow it's like a cool yellow if that makes sense and it, it, it's more bordering on green which ironically would would work great if you're trying to do like a glowy hulk but it didn't work great for flames and so uh color choice i think is a really important part of that but yeah fluorescence in general uh really help for something like that and and interestingly i don't know that i've seen anybody do that with hulk i'm sure someone has but i, I don't think i've seen one where someone intentionally tried to make him look glowy interesting you know what you mentioned that I, I feel like i have but maybe maybe i haven't um yeah i don't know that's a that's a good question I'd, I'd have to potentially search my memory bank potentially so. untapped market right there glowy hulk well i think uh i think i want to try it more for the immortal hulk because i i kind of did my early attempt at the grounded one so I, I feel like for the immortal hulk i want something you know eye catchy in your face with that so i'm gonna try to do yeah. something there. Well, and he's a great model for that, for sure. Yeah. Uh, and then, you know, that that's kind of the color recipes, but, but you know, once again, we find ourselves at a divide on our podcast because the most important part of this model is how are you painting the shorts? <laughs> I see that you've gone for a comic book purple. Um, that's respectable. And, and that is a key component of the, you know, comic book fluorescent look. I, I have to commend you on that. I wanted to go for a more, you know, MCU style Earthy Hulk, and I went with, uh, you know, blue jean ripped, or at least my attempt at ripped blue jeans. So, once again, you know, we we just can't find ourselves at a point of agreement yeah, we've, here. We've just got all kinds of civil wars amongst us. The the, yeah. uh, I'll be the Cap, and you be the Iron Man. How's that work? Uh, I'll take that. I'll take all right. that, man. So yeah, yet yet again, we're at a civil war where I, I say you go purple pants Hulk because you know you got to pay homage, and yet you're doing that yeah. realism nonsense. God, 
I do remember out of all the things I did on this model, that was the one decision I actually thought about. And I was very much like, ah, uh, I'm just going to go with the blue jeans. Um, I think in part because I didn't really know how to do the purple pants the way I wanted. And it, too, because I'm trying to keep it more in that MCU realm. But I think for the Immortal Hulk, I'm jumping over to your side and I want to do the purple pants. Yeah. I, just so I have one of each. I, I will say that I think the purple pants make sense if you're going for more kind of comic y. But if you, if you are trying to do like a, you know, muted earthen, you, you want to give it like a kind of more grounded feel. Um, I feel like the purple pants look a little more off in that setting. So I think I think the, the kind of ripped jeans make more sense with what you were going for with yours anyway. So. Yeah. Well, uh, I think that's that kind of puts a bow on what we wanted to talk about. Anything anything else from you you wanted to mention? Uh, no, not not as far as Hulk goes. Uh, I did want to kind of throw out uh, just a, maybe a discussion topic. One of the things I'm interested in hearing from people, uh, it's not often that we get a glut of reveals uh, on what's coming out. Oh. And of course, they announced Nightcrawler, Bishop, Kitty Pride, Iceman, Claw, M'Baku, uh, the new rival panel, Killmonger versus Black Panther... Uh, Shadow King, Professor X, uh, Cosmic Ghost Rider. Uh, there's probably some I might be forgetting. That's we're up to eleven so far, just with what I just listed. Yeah, quite a quite a number. Um, and I'm I'm really excited to to kind of hear from people what they're excited about, what they're what which one of those they're you know. For me, it's Nightcrawler. I'm a big Nightcrawler fan, and so to finally get Nightcrawler getting released is really exciting for me. I'm also really excited to do Bishop. I'm totally going to be going for the the dreads. Um, the longer hair bishop, uh, but like I, I'm really excited to see what people are excited about, what they, you know, if they have any cool ideas for what to do for certain models, uh, uh, stuff like that. Um, that's a conversation I'm excited to have. Yeah, I actually wanted that to be a point of discussion today, but uh, <laughs> forgot to. I guess I just plain forgot until you brought it up now, but we're running a little long, so maybe we can give our thoughts tomorrow. But I, I definitely encourage, uh, or not tomorrow, next next time. But um, I want to hear what people say about that because yeah, there was a ton of cool stuff in there, and you know, I'm jealous of the people who got to go there in person and see the uh, you know not or eighty backroom type of uh, images of everything because uh, yeah, we got a more crystal clear look at at what it would look like then. Yeah, yeah. If, if you didn't get to see the reveal stream, the way they announced the releases was they literally just uh, brought up a screen that had like a puff of purple smoke and said "Bamf," <laughs> and that that was yeah. like how they started it, and the room like lost their mind, like everybody started freaking out because everybody knew, of course, knew exactly what that meant. So it was it was a pretty cool moment. Yeah. Uh -huh. Well, well, we'll talk about that next time, kind of what we're most excited about, but but definitely a discussion to have in our Discord. For sure. Uh, speaking of our Discord, um, the link will be in the show notes. You know, part of the goal of the podcast is to build that community of people who want to improve. So, um, you know, if, if you want to be involved in those discussions, you can find that link and join us there. Um, there's a gallery referencing the images that we talked about uh, in the episode. Um, there's two channels for showing off, you know, what you've done, what you've been working on. There's just a general show off your minis, and then there's a uh, looking for CNC um, 
like if, if you're posting something and you want like maybe critique or, or something specific about the model you want feedback on, post that there and, you know, I will do my best, more artists, you do your best to, to try to give detailed advice to that. And, uh, you know, of course, other people are welcome to jump in and, and share expertise all around. Um, yeah, there, there's, a, there's other stuff in there I won't go into now. Um, if you want to follow us on Instagram, I am waxy underscore sandwich. And I am Moriartist 7. Yeah, and, uh, you know, where's uh, other places they can follow your hobby journey? I've got uh, moriartistminis.wordpress.com is where I do a blog. It's 99% MCP focused, probably will be for the foreseeable future. Uh, it's just me kind of walking through my process on everything. Um, always looking for feedback on it. So if anybody has any advice, feel free to like either comment on there or drop into the Discord and... Uh, you know, let me know what you guys like to see. I'm thinking of putting together actually guides on things going forward. Uh, I, I've had some people ask for that a few times on things. So um, I, I did that with my display board for Adepticon. Um, and going forward, I'll probably try to try to do that more often, implement that with some whatever I'm working on at the time. Oh, that'll be, that'll be really interesting uh, to look at. All right. Well, uh, with that, we'll, we'll probably wrap it up here. Um, yeah. Thanks for joining us. Yeah. Keep hobbying, guys.